Hi there, welcome to episode 51 of the Back in the Day podcast with me, Dave Rivett. Something totally different today, it's going to be a cricket episode. This topic came into my head a little while ago, and I'll just go, it'll just go round and round till I actually get it done. So today I'm going to select two teams. Uh, it's going to be an England all-time 11 and a rest of the world all-time 11 to take them on. Now... When I say old time, I really mean my time, which started in 1963 when Frank Worrell's West Indies team came to England with fast bowlers Charlie Griffith and Wes Hall and the great Gray Sobers and gave Ted Dexter's England team a bit of a bashing. Incidentally, that was the year the Gillette Cup came into being and cricket would never be the same again. Limited overs cricket has changed the sport beyond recognition. Old stars like Don Bradman and Len Hutton would not recognise cricket today. English county cricket is a pale shadow of what it was in 1963. In the mid-60s, I could name every player in every county. I certainly couldn't today. The test players are kept on separate contracts and don't even seem to play county cricket anymore. But the truth is, it had to change. It was struggling. T20 cricket has become a massive draw, and I love it. The 100 competition has taken quick-fire cricket even further. The size of the crowd speak for themselves. It's very exciting. Even 50-over limited overs cricket looks pretty pedestrian in comparison. So on to the teams. I thought I'd start with the International World Eleven first. Obviously, no England players will be considered. So first of all, I'll be looking for two opening batsmen. There's some great openers to choose from. From West Indies, Gordon Greenwich, Desmond Hayes and the explosive Chris Gale. From India, Sunil Gavaskar, Miranda Seawag. South Africans, Graham Smith and Barry Richards. A host of great Aussie openers, Lorian, uh, Bill Laurie and Bobby Simpson, Mark Taylor, Matthew Hayden and Justin Langer. Pakistan's Babar Azam, Sadiq Mohammed and, and Amir Sahal. Also, Saraf Jayasiria from Sri Lanka and New Zealand's Glenn Turner. Well, the first man I penciled into me is the perfect opening batsman from India, Sunil Gavaskar. In 125 test mis- matches... He averaged over 51 runs per innings. Totally fearless against some of the fastest bowlers in Test history. His opening partner will surprise a few. With only four Test matches to his name, it's South African Barry Richards. In his only Test series against Australia in 1970, Richards scored 508 runs at an average of 72. The ban on the South African Test side robbed us of not just Richards, Barry Richards, but other great players such as Eddie Barlow, Graham Pollock, and all-rounder Mike Proctor. South Africa in the 1970s would have been a great side. I've always thought of Barry Richards in the same light as Buddy Holly and Duncan Edwards, a superb young talent cut off in his prime, never to realise its potential. But unlike Buddy and Duncan, even though Test cricket was a no-go for him, there was still first-class cricket in South Africa, England and Australia for him to display his talents. Richards was a prolific run scorer of Hampshire in county cricket, scoring 2,395 runs in his first season in 1968, more than anybody else in the country. In Australia's Sheffield Shield cricket, playing for South Australia in 1970-71, Richards scores 325 runs in a single day off an attack that included Graham McKenzie, Tony Locke and Dennis Lilly. In that season, he hit 1,538 runs in 10 matches, an average of 109. He was setting records in his native South Africa. 
In a John Player League match for Hampshire v Yorkshire in June 1970, Richards scored 155 not out in a score of 215 for three of 40 overs. He thrived in the late 70s in Kerry Packer's World Series cricket. In five super tests for a World eleven, he scored 554 runs in five matches. So without doubt, the ban on South Africa in 1970 robbed off as one of the greatest opening batsmen ever. So open up for my World eleven are Barry Richards and Sonny Gavaska. Next up, I'm looking for three middle-order batsmen, and I have to admit the three come to mind pretty quickly. But they were many contenders, from Pakistan, Zahir Abbas, Javed Miandad and Yunus Khan. South Africans, Graham Pollock and Hashem Amla. Martin Crowe, Stephen Fleming and Kane Williamson from New Zealand. Sri Lankans, Kumar Sangakkara and Mahila Jawadeen. West Indies, Clive Lloyd, Ryan Kenai and Shivanarine Shandapal. Also from India, Rahul Dravid and Virat Kohli. There are five Australians of absolute top quality. The man England could never get out, it seems to me, Steve Smith, Steve Waugh, Alan Border, Greg Chappell and the great Ricky Ponting. All great batsmen, but none of them make the side. My middle order is number three, Sachin Tendulkar, number four, Vivian Richards and number five, Brian Lara. Sachin Tendulkar of India is the all-time highest run scorer in both Test and One Day International Cricket. His Test career began as a 16-year-old in 1989. When he played his final Test match 24 years later in 2013, he had scored 15,921 runs at an average of 53.78. Enough said, a great, great player. At number four, I have Vivian Richards from the West Indies. No player in the history of cricket, cricket looked cooler walking to the crease, bat in hand, cap on his head. It had the effect of a one-man New Zealand hacker. The opposing bowlers must have been intimidated. He was a great batsman to watch, extremely powerful, and he looked so effortless. In 121 tests, he scored over 8,500 runs at an average of 50. With Viv Richards, it was all done with great style. At number five, another West Indian, Brian Lara. Lara holds the record for the highest individual score in first-class cr- cricket, with 501 not out for Warwickshire against Durham in 1994, and the highest Test match score of 400 not out for West Indies against England in 2004. In all, he amassed 11,953 runs, an average of 52.88. OK, I have my batsman one to five installed. I now am going for one all-rounder. We have Kapil Dev, Imran Khan, Shaib Al-Hazan is a wonderful all-rounder for Bangladesh. From South Africa, we have three very good contenders, Sean Pollock, Mike Proctor, and a lot of people say Jack Callis should get into the side. But as good as Callis was, for me, he falls short of the one and only Gary Sobers from the West Indies. Sobers and Callis' records are quite similar. But Gary Sobers had that special star quality, a player that was always in the game, a real all-time great. He is in the side at number six, a left-handed bat. He could bowl left-arm fast medium, slow left-arm orthodox and left-arm unorthodox spin. Also a great fielder. Now wicketkeeper. Now for me, there are two outstanding contenders for the wicketkeeping spot. South African A.B. de Villiers and Adam Gilchrist of Australia. I thought Gilchrist was a great batsman, but de Villiers actually has a higher test average, 50 compared to 47. They are both exciting attacking batsmen who could open the innings in ODI cricket. 
But at the end of the day, De Villiers was as great batsman as he was, was only really a part-time keeper and has played a lot of test matches, fielding at slip and cover. Brilliantly, I should say. So batting at number seven is wicket-keeper Adam Gilchrist. So if you look at the one to seven, I think you'll decide, you'll degree it's a pretty strong lineup. One Barry Richards, two Sunil Gavaska, three Sachin Tendulkar, four Vivian Richards, five Brian Lara, six Gary Sobers, seven Adam Gilchrist. Now, when it comes to the bowlers, I have two absolute top draw spinners to choose from, and I really wanted to play both, but that would have left me with only two pacemen, and I could could have sacrificed one of my batters. I didn't want to do that, so it's one, one spin bowler and three pacemen. Obviously, the two spin bowlers, head and head and shoulders above the rest, are Sri Lankan Matai Muralitharin and Australia's Shane Warne. I really wanted to play both. Can you imagine facing these two in tandem on a turning wicket? But it's not to be so. I have to choose. In contrast, Shane Warne was an absolute joy to watch. Every ball was exciting. Who can forget his first test wicket in England when he absolutely bamboozled Mike Gatting, who even walking back to the pavilion didn't know what had happened. I like do like I'm sure it was Ian Botham who said he wouldn't have missed it if it was a pork pie, which I always loved. In contrast, Murley was plagued with claims that his bowling action contravened the laws of the game. On four occasions, he was forced to undergo testing with respect to the legality of his action. He certainly wasn't as easy on the eye as Warren. But statistically, Murley is superior, taking 92 more wickets in 12 less test matches at an average of 22.7 compared to Wall's 25.4. But Murley had a far greater opportunity than Wall to bowl on more spin-friendly pitches. Plus, Murley had little genuine quality support for the bulk of his test career. Wall had to compete with Glenn McGrath, Jason Gillespie, Brett Lee and Stuart McGill for wickets. One more thing... Warren only played against Minnows in Barbara Bangladesh three times. Murali played them on 25 occasions, claiming 176 wickets, an average of just 15.1. If you remove these two nations from their career records, then their records are very similar indeed. Wayne actually takes more wickets. Shane Warren was a better batsman, who often came in and played in a successful Australian side, could express himself and entertain the crowd. Even though at an average of only 17.32, he had 12 half-centuries to his name. So I think you know where I'm going with this. As great as Mutia Muralitharin was, I prefer Shane Warne. So he gets in the world team, batting eight. So now three pacemen, plenty to choose from. Australians, Jeff Thompson, Dennis Lilly, Terry Alderman, very underrated Alderman, I thought, Glenn McGraw, Brett Lee and Pat Cummins. For New Zealand, Richard Hadley. South of Africans, Peter Pollock, Mike Proctor, Alan Donald and Dal Steen. From Pakistan, Imran Khan, Shab Akhtar and the great pair, Waka Yunis and Wazim Akram. And last, but definitely not least, we have the West Indians. Wesley Hall, Andy Roberts, Michael Holding, Joel Garner, Malcolm Marshall, Courtney Walsh and Kirtley Ambrose. You could practically use a pin to pick out three and not weaken the team at all. But here we go. Oh, I have bad news for Shane Warne. He is demoted from bad at number eight to coming in at number nine. 
Batting at eight will be Richard Hadley, who has a test batting average of 27 with two centuries and 1550s to his name. But that's not why I picked him. As a bowler, he took 431 test wickets at 22.2, uh, 22.29 each. From 83 to 87, he took 204 wickets only at 18.94. He performed brilliantly in all conditions, including 68 wickets at 21.58 each in the pace-unfriendly subcontinent. A continent, a great cricketer. Batting at number 10 will be West Indian Malcolm Marshall. It was a hard choice between Marshall, Ambrose and Lilly for this place, as my last choice was always going to be in the team. In the end, I picked Marshall. He took 376 test wickets, an average of only... 80, uh, an average value of 20.94 is the lowest bowling average of any player who took over 200 test wickets. Fabulous action, great bowler, no mug with the bat, 10 test match 50s. At number 11, for me, the greatest of all the pace men, Australian Glenn McGrath. A major contributor to Aussie's domination of world cricket from the mid-90s to the late 2000s. For sheer accuracy, he was the greatest. England opener Mike Atherton could tell you how great McGrath was. He dismissed him 19 times, the most times any batsman has been dismissed by one bowler in cricket history. So there we have it, my 1963-2023 World Eleven. Here's the team. 1. Barry Richards, 2. Sunil Gavaskar, 3. Sachin Tendulkar, 4. Vivian Richards, 5. Brian Lara, 6. Gary Sobers, 7. Wicketkeeper Adam Gilchrist, 8, Richard Hadley, 9, Shane Warne, 10, Malcolm Marshall, 11, Glenn McGraw. What a team. So who will captain the side? Well, Gavaskar, Tendulkar, Lara and Sobers all had their problems as captain. So my choice is Viv Richards, who, despite a few controversial moments, captained the West Indies team on 50 occasions and is the only West Indian captain never to have lost a Test Series. So he gets to captain the sides. So now I need an England 11 to take them on. With the England eleven, I'm going to do it reverse to what I've done the world team and choose my captain first. That man is Yorkshireman Richard. Uh, sorry, Raymond. He's got a was it his son or his nephew? Uh, Raymond Illingworth. No shame or nor Muralitharan available here. I don't think Illingworth is the best spin bowler I had to choose from, but he brings so much more to the team than his bowling. A great tactician and motivator. In 61 tests, he took 122 wickets to 31.20. Batting, he made 200s and 550s, an average of 23. Illingworth was a remarkable player, one of only nine players in history to have taken 200 wickets and made, sorry, 2,000 wickets and made 20,000 runs in first-class cricket. He was still captain in Yorkshire at the age of 51. Yep, he'll do for me. There were other options for the slow bowler place in the side. Unfortunately, the Surrey Spin Kings, Jim Laker and Tony Locke, were past their best in, in 1963. There was the Middlesex twins, John Embury and Phil Edmonds, also from Middlesex, Fred Titmus and Phil Tupnell. Warwickshire's Ashley Giles, but the two main contenders were Kent's Derek Underwood and, and North Ant's Not Star, Graham Swan. I did have deadly Derek penciled in before I thought we were giving the captaincy to Illingworth. I've no doubt Underwood was a better bowler, but Illingworth brings so much more. Actually, he has got experience in these type of test matches. When the South African 1972 of England was called off, Ealingworth's, ca- uh, 
England played a five-match test series against the rest of the world side. They included the likes of Sobers, Barry Richards, Eddie Barlow, Lance Gibbs, Clive Lloyd, Mike Proctor and the Pollock brothers Graham and Peter. So, on to the opening batsman. From the 1960s and 70s, we have John Edrich, a very fine player for Surrey, really dependable. In more recent times, there have been Mike Atherton, Marcus Trescothic and Andrew Strauss, all good players, but none of them will open in my team. I have chosen Geoffrey Boycott of Yorkshire and Alistair Cook of Essex. Alistair Cook is England's lead and run scorer in Test cricket with over 12,000 runs, an average of 45. He played for England 161 times and captained the team on 59 occasions. Partnering left-hander Cook will be right-handed Jeff Boycott. What can you say about Geoffrey? Let's get the negatives out of the way. OK, he can score very slowly on occasion and he sometimes encounters friction with his teammates. But if you wanted someone to bat for your life, he's your man. The first English player to average over 100 in the season, which he achieved twice in 1971 and 1979. A test career that lasted 18 years from 1964 to 1982. In 108 tests, he scored over 8,000 runs at an average of 47.72. On the Ashes Tour of Australia in 70-71, Boycott ended the series with 657 test runs, an average of 93.85. Batting at number three is a man who could also open the innings, and often did, Graham Gooch of Essex. Graham did not have a great start in test cricket, bagging a pair on debut against Australia in 1975. In his next match, he scored 6-31 and, and was then dropped for three years. He did not score his first Test 100 for 22 tests, but from then on, there was no stopping him. He had a real presence at the crease, big and powerful. He would go on to play 118 matches for England, scoring 8,900 runs at an average of 42.58. He scored 20 centuries and had a high score of 333, which he scored against India in 1990 at Lord's. I have plenty to choose from the other two middle-order batsmen. From the 60s, there was Colin Cowdrew, who once in looked like he would never get out. The graceful Tom Graveney, the magnificent Ted Dexter, and the man who averages 58.67 in test, Ken Barrington, a man with incredible will and determination. But do I want the team to get bogged down with Boycott and Barrington both in the side? I don't think so. We have the elegant David Gower, and from the same era, Mike Gatting, Graham Thorpe, Ian Bell and Alan Lamb. Plus the man we thought was going to be England's great champion, Graham Hick, who set all types of records in first-class cricket, never quite hitting the heights in test matches. I heard it said once that he was a great player of bad bowling. Bit harsh, maybe. So batting at number four is current test player Joe Root of Yorkshire. In 129 tests, Joe has scored close to 11,000 runs at an average of 50. Still only 32 years old, there's plenty more to come. Fantastic to watch, Joe Root is one of the greatest batsmen of the modern era. Batting at number five will be Kevin Peterson. South African-born Peterson has played county cricket for Notts, Hampshire and Surrey. A tall, strong right-hand batter was capable of destroying any bowling attack. In 104 tests, he scored over 8,000 runs at an average of 47. A really exciting player to watch. A shame his career ended quite early, brought on by disputes off the pitch. So the lineup so far, one boycott, two cook, three gooch, four root, five Peterson, with Captain Raining with further down the order. Before we leave the batsman, just a quick mention about young Harry Brook. 
okay, he's only appeared in six tests, but in those six matches, he has scored 809 runs at an average of over 80, scoring four centuries and three fifties. He looks a super talent. We'll know more about him after this summer's Ashes series. Fingers crossed for him. Okay, on to the all-rounders. I've picked two. Going back to the 1960s, there was Basil Dolaveria, a great player. I always thought his batting far outstripped his bowling. A player I really rated highly was Tony Gregg, a great competitor who nearly made it into the side. A fine fielder who averaged over 40 with a bat and took 141 test wickets at 32.20 each. Also in contention was current test captain Ben Stokes, a player of inc- uh, capable of incredible things. Who can forget? Who can forget his unbeaten 135 in a record pursuit of 359 in 2019? Without doubt, one of the greatest innings of all time. But I've always thought his bowling was pretty average. My two all-rounders are Ian Botham and Andrew Flintoff. Botham is never out of the game, exciting batting, tireless wicket-taking bowling and fantastic fielding. His performances in the 1981 Ashes series was like a story from a comic book. Definitely one of the first names you think of when picking an all-time England eleven. Andrew Freddie Flintoff is another very exciting player, a great competitor who had his injury and fitness problems but at his peak was fantastic. What puts him in the side in front of Stokes and Greg? Greg, is the pace of his bowling. He could trouble the best batsman. Remember the over to Jack Callis and the magic over to Ricky Ponting in 2005 when he dismissed Justin Langer and Ponting in a devastating spell of bowling. He could send the ball down at well over 90 miles an hour. Couple this with his batting and you have a great player. Now on to the wicketkeeper. Now for me, this is a no-brainer. Bob Taylor was a first-class keeper for many years. Johnny Bairstow and Alex Stewart would score more runs, but the place in my team goes to Alan Knott of Kent. A great keeper, very athletic, took a lot of great diving catches. He made his test debut at the age of 21 against Pakistan in 1967. He made a duck but didn't concede a single bye in the match. I remember reading the Jeff Boycott book years ago. England were on tour and Alan not missed the ball and it ran away for four byes. It was such a rare occurrence that all the England close fielders just stared at each other in disbelief. In 95 tests, he made 250 catches and 19 stumpings. He was a useful batsman, scoring over 4,000 runs at an average of 32.75. He scored five centuries and 30 fifties. He had the knack of scoring vital runs when the team really needed them. So, the lineup so far. 1. Geoffrey Boycott, 2. Alistair Cook, 3. Graham Gooch, 4. Joe Root, 5. Kevin Peterson, 6. Ian Botham, 7. Andrew Flintoff, 8. Wicketkeeper Alan Knott, 9. Captain Railingworth. So, two pacemen required. Well, one, place goes, one player goes straight into the team. The man with 685 test wickets to his name, an average of 25.99. Still England's best bowler at the age of 40, Jimmy Anderson of Lancashire. Regarded as one of the best swing bowlers in the history of cricket, the only pace bowler to have taken over 600 test wickets. Who partners Jimmy Anderson is a bit more difficult. The great Freddie Truman was still playing test cricket when I first started uh, taking in the tests, but his best years were behind him. Same for Brian Statham. In the 60s and 70s, we had John Snow, one of the architects of England's Ashes victory in Australia in 
Snow only played 49 tests for England. He was a very aggressive competitor who got in trouble with management from time to time. He took 202 test wickets, wickets an average of 26. Nearly making it into the side is Jimmy Anderson's bowling partner, Stuart Broad, a right-arm bowler who bats left-handed. Broad, like Anderson, is beaten five a time and still playing test cricket at 36 years old. Actually, Broad has a batting average of 18.19, but I think he's better than that. When he comes into the side bat, into the bat, he has a very aggressive Cavalier style. When bowling, he has taken 576 test wickets, an average of 27. Who will ever forget the August Ashes test of 2015 when England bowled out the Aussies for just 60, with Broad taking eight wickets for 15 runs? Amazing. But I'm afraid Brawl just misses out. My final place in the side goes to Bob Willis. Willis's test career uh, spanned from 1971 to 1984. He played 90 tests and took 325 test wickets, an average of 25.2. He formed a great partnership with Ian Botham. He was one of the heroes of the incredible 1981 Ashes series, taking 8 for 43 as the Aussies failed to chase down a low winning total. He was hampered by pain in both knees, but still performed to a very high level. So there we have it, both teams selected. Let's take a look at the teams. Right, England, one, Boycott, two, uh, Cook, three, Gooch, four, Root, five, Peterson, six, Botham, seven, Flintoff, eight, Wicketkeeper, Knott, nine, Captain Illingworth, ten, Anderson, eleven, Willis. The world side, one Barry Richards, two Gavaskar, three Tendulkar, four Captain Viv Richards, five Lara, six Sobers, seven Wicketkeeper Gilchrist, eight Hadley, nine Warne, ten Marshall and eleven McGrath. Well, so who wins? Well, as good as the England side is, the world side is unbelievably strong. When England played the rest of the world team in 1970, They were beaten 4-1 and were competitive in three of the five matches. I think a test series between these two teams will be very similar. It'd be great to watch. Okay, that's it for this episode. If you have any comments to make about this or any other episode, you can make them on the Facebook Back in the Day group page. That's it for now. Catch you later.